drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello, hello. It's episode 32 of Drive-By Cinema. Here with me, your host Rick, is my host Paul. (laughs) I'm pretending all that made sense. Anyway, look, yeah, 32, and here with my host Rick is myself, Paul. Yes, I don't know how that works. Welcome, anyway, welcome to the open day at the local fire station, where two bickering pairs of young boy, where a bickering pair of young boys, Richard and Paul, push each other into the demonstration car just as it's being exploded by the fireman and uh, try to extricate, extricate their torn limbs from the car crash that is this podcast. So welcome, everybody. Paul, it's Drive-By Cinema. It's the po- podcast yes. that watches the movies so you don't have to. And we car crash at the same time. Now, Alistair, our Ooh, perennial Alistair, listener, he, <laughs> did not, he was not a fan of last week's movie Creep. Yeah, isn't he evergreen? I mean, that evergreens are perennial too, aren't they? But he hated it. He described it as a nasty little movie. He didn't like the movie, and the movie was... Creep. Oh, oh, oh. He said it was a twisted little, snide, nasty thing of a movie. Thing. He said Amdram with jump scares. And <gasps> Cutting, whoa, I know, whoa. I know. <laughs> don't hold back there, Alistair, why don't you? Crikey. I mean, I did say in... Who pressed trans- his hate button? Well, I tried to uh, stand up for the movie a bit, and I said that we thought it was good, but not a masterpiece. Yeah. But listening back... Nasty little Malister. Nasty listening back man. to the podcast last week, Paul, we gave it nines. We thought it was a masterpiece. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant, yeah. I still do. He did say he'd be interested in seeing Creep 2. Oh, oh, he thinks he doth protest a little bit too much. I think he's curious. It's made him curious, oh, even though he oh, Maybe he it. wants to gain more ammunition for his trashing. No, I think he found it, and he found Joseph, the main character, the killer character, to be so creepy that it affected him, like it affects everyone. Uh, well, that's, that's he, the idea, isn't it? Exactly. I think he's mistaking the effectiveness, effectiveness of the film of the for him just not liking it. Well, you never can tell with people, can you? Particularly Alistair, because, I mean, he was perfectly friendly on the chats this this, uh, this week. <laughs> Just goes to show, and then he turns on us like this. Traitor. Brutus. Yay. Okay. We got any corrections? Not so much corrections. Well, I have a problem with the word correction here. In particular, your corrections of me in the Sentinel Islands, because you say, I'm going to correct you, Paul. And you quite <laughs> rightly, but after your detailed breakdown of you know the various forms of uh, large large fruits, watermelon, and coconut. But apart from that, apart from your detailed breakdown of what exactly what kind of fruit the people of the Central Islands or the West Central Islands or the North Central Islands were happy Central to Island. receive. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Another correction on your part. Thank you. So you were quite rightly correcting me on that. you know. Yeah, then you went on to correct me about whether they were fearful or not of, of white people. And I don't think you can really call that a correction, can you? Just, just you were putting in a, 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 a balance of opinion. They're not cowering. On their own. No, no, okay, no, no, no. Okay, so, 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 let me, let me, uh, I mean, I understand you're at pains to defend their badass fighting spirit, and there's certainly no doubting that they are fearless in, in, in combat and in conflict. But it may be born of fear. Maybe it's a phobia. Exactly. Hatred, so, yes. Okay. Well, so my point was, I, I think, I think you're right that they certainly are fearless in combat. Absolutely. 
you know, they're, they're, they're warrior people, aren't they? Or fabulously, fabulously fit as well. Like, you must be 3% body fat, you know, if you watch them on the videos. Uh, so they live a very physical and fearless life. But I don't, you know, I think the fact they run away when people turn up, you know, flee into the forest, indicate that uh, uh, not about fearing, uh, fear of fighting, but a fear of the effects that, uh, you know, people around the island might have. I, I, I think in some sense their wish to engage with is violently must be down as some to some on, to, on some level to fear i think so i'm, I'm not going to accept a word correction richard for what you said rather a rebalancing perhaps do you accept what i'm saying or no we can fight it out outside if you want to well like the sentinelese would <laughs> a couple of spears and bury the other one on the beach well you're near the beach you could do that I could. Secondly, okay, you, you, a few, a few, a few, a few episodes, but you said, Paul, it's not graft, it's grift. And no, it's graft, actually, what I meant. Oh. You, graft is, that, is in Is that the act of attaching the branch of one tree to another? Well, in part, yeah, but it's also the act of political corruption, you know, like gravy training for, in a very corrupt way, which grift also means, well, I think grift can be, is a more petty offence. I'm not sure. I think sure. grift is a con, isn't it? It's running a con. Uh, yes, yes. Whereas grift can mean political, it can actually, it does extend itself to meaning political corruption, but graft is the word typical it's used in America. I don't know about in the UK. Is that it? No. No. Last week, you did actually say, you brought some very strong defence and your mates, you brought your mates along when you said that the director of the Beyond, Mr. Fucci, is it? Luigi Fulci, see. Si. Yeah, Fulci, sorry. Okay, you said he was a he was a pervert and and he, he rode a boat in his last movie called Perversion. This indicated that it was an omission or if It's a like, heavy handed metaphor. <laughs> yeah, heavy handed metaphor. It is. But I mean, it is. I think he's literally 16... riding a boat of perversion. <laughs> I know, but is he riding his perversion or is he riding? The, is he exploiting the viewer's perversion? I mean, come on. I mean, it's. It's. I think it can be taken both ways, can't it? That's what I've heard about him. <sighs> because I mean, you know, on that level, are we are we assuming that Eastman Ellis is a psycho because he wrote American Psycho? Are we saying Tony Wilson was a fascist because he let New Order and Joy Division call themselves those names? Are we saying that Martin Ames was a sexist? Because, I mean, he had sexist attitudes towards, or he wrote sexist attitudes towards his lead character, Nicole, which he called Nicholas Six in London Fields. I don't know if we can say those, Richard. No, there's a difference, though. And we, we have well, we said that Nabokov was a child molester because in Transparent Things and Alita, he no. has an intense interest. In, no, but we didn't. We made this abuse. point on the movie. Well, people do. People do. People do. I mean, I mean, prior to cancel culture, if you think cancel culture exists, or, you know, canceling has changed or increased in the last ten years. I don't know if it has or not. People assume that it has. But Martin Amis was kind of cancelled because of those things, because because his male characters were talking chauvinistically about you know the female the female Death Star Nicol- Nicholas Six, and and Nabokov isn't read these days at universities. Because he was, he had t- too much interest in the unpleasant things he wrote about. So people do those things. I'm not saying you do, but typically we do assume that if somebody shows an interest in something or writes about something with interest, that it's, it's to do with fulfilling a selfish need. But I don't know. Ah, uh, but the difference is, and the whole point about what we said, Fulci didn't just make a horror movie where some people, you know, get attacked and sometimes their eyes come out and stuff for horrific yeah. effects. He does movies where, for like 
three minutes of on-screen time, which is a hell of a long time, you know, you'll see someone having their eye gouged or having stuff poured in. Value for money, surely. But you wouldn't do it as a filmmaker unless you were really digging it, would you? That's the point. It's obviously self-indulgent. That's what people say about Nabokov, you know. I don't know. Well, Paul, it's time to get on to this week's movie. I've got a fire in my belly and I've got a, a rant to get out, so... Oh, after this bit of music, we're going to talk about his house. Yes, Paul, his house. Ah. Uh-huh. Now this movie was on Netflix, but it seems to be a BBC production. And it's it's mercifully short. It's quite a short film. Yes, there. I did. I did. It didn't feel. Well, well, I've got something to say about that, but it didn't feel particularly short. Uh, I'm getting the feeling you weren't that impressed by it. Then I wasn't really too impressed with the pacing. I, I, it, I mean, I think it was a stylistic decision to have lots of silence, so to represent speech between two people in an empty house, apart from themselves, or not so empty. Though. I mean, there were ghosts as it turned out. Or they're what they imagined to be ghosts, uh, and, but the the dialogue was just so slow in, in in places that we all we could do was absorb the atmosphere of an empty house, an empty council house. It felt a little bit like a TV movie, I guess, and I, and I suppose mm-hmm. if it was a BBC production, it sort of was. But that's not to denigrate it. I mean, it was this is a worthy effort, I think. Okay, let's just talk about the what happens in the film because it starts off really quickly. I thought. I remember being surprised at the pacing of the opening scenes. Because there's only, I don't know, maybe 20 seconds of them at the start when they're in, I think it's South Sudan, this couple. Rial and Bol. That's right. Rial's the lady, Bol's the boy, or man. You think Bol is the South Sudanese equivalent of Paul? Don't think so, no. Could be, though, couldn't it? They're trying to escape, they're trying to flee their... War-torn... War-torn, exactly. There's people with guns running around. You see them trying to get on a bus very briefly. As I say, it was no more than 20 seconds, I would guess, that scene. And then it cuts immediately to pitch black, a boat tossing, an open boat, small, tossing on a very rough sea. I assume that was the English Channel. The boat capsizes at some point. People end up in the sea and clearly are in distress. And then the next thing you know, they're waking up, presumably having been rescued in a detention centre somewhere in the United Kingdom. Yeah. And then they're brought for interview. They're brought for interview uh, by some quite surly like detention centre guards. Yeah. And they're assigned a caseworker who turns out to be Doctor Who's own Matt Smith. And he's quite a nice guy, actually, isn't he? He sorts them out. He finds them an actual house to stay in. So at this point, okay, we've had like the... You know, the interview they have to pass with the immigration officers, which was very down at heel, a little bit kitchen sinky, you know, those kind of vibes. It was getting, you know, those kind of oh, you know what? Kafka, British Kafkaesque vibes. And then we get the housing officer or the doctor. So I was thinking this is going to be a gritty, a gritty mm. drama about, you know, about refugees as immigrants to the UK. Yeah. But I it mean, didn't it, turn out it, that it, way. It felt it? that way, didn't it? And we missed a very important point. The beginning point. did. Yeah. We missed a very important point at the beginning. They're with a little girl and. She don't make it, does she? That's right. She doesn't come out of the boat. So she's not in the t- detention centre. So then the, they say, or they, the story t- is told that, that she drowned in that crossing. They start living in their life in this house, but, you know, 
it's a pretty beat up house, obviously in a council council estate. It's pretty rough around there. So you were saying that the man is nice to them. Yeah, yeah, Matt Smith, the doc- Doctor Who, he's he's a good guy, isn't he? He looks after them, he gets them in this house, he seems to want them to succeed. They only get, what, was it 76 quid a week to live on? And they are, of course, not allowed to work because of their status as asylum seekers or what have you. And then, then they're in the rabbit warren that is, you know, a, a relatively recent British council housing estate, so they can't find the shops. And then we get some, like, black on black, you might call it, can we call it racism? I mean, I don't know if we can. Uh, where the locals, like, the local black guys are like, just speak English, you know, go back to where you came from kind of thing. Yeah. So all that indicates to me it's going to be gritty and it's going to be very realistic. But, as you say, turns out that this is a supernatural story. Uh, the, the story goes that some kind of witch has accompanied them. And an apeth. Pardon? Apeth. An apeth. Oh, is that the word for witch? I don't know if... Well, I, she calls it a night witch. He is a night witch. Well, she, she tells of an apocryphal tale of a, a man from their home culture who stole from the house of somebody he didn't know was a night witch. And its spirit followed him back and the stolen objects to reclaim either the objects or the soul of the, or, or the, soul of the thief. And so that's what... Uh, she later in the movie describes it as, as such, yeah. An apeth. So they both start experiencing these ghostly or zombie-like apparitions. Yes. In the walls, I think. There are holes in the plasterboard, aren't there? Some of them, and some of them they start seeing beings peering through it. The terror of stud walls. I mean, if they had proper supporting walls there, none of this could have happened. Could it? There's two things going on in this film. On the one hand, it is telling the story about refugees and immigration, as you say. And also the perils of not having low-bearing walls. <laughs> and <there's> a... <laughs> is, did I get the wrong? Did I interpret the moral incorrectly here? Or... But there's an I interesting tension going on about everyone is sort of encouraging them to to fit in and not to fit in, yes, not to you know stand out or be awkward. And Bol is taking this to heart, you know, and he's trying to... He's he trying to fit in and forget, isn't he? He goes to the pub and he watches a football match and he sings a football song. Eating with knives and forks. That's right. And he comes back and his wife, meanwhile, is not really doing that. She's still dressing, uh, presumably as she would have done in the Sudan, and she has made a great feast, considering... Actually, they get some food, don't they, from a food bank or from a community centre that's helping refugees, which is nice, yeah. considering that the money that they're given. And she yeah, she lays it all out on the floor and is prepared to eat it with her hands. And he comes back home and he you know, he says, as you say, use a knife and fork and we'll do it on the table next time. And it's a really awkward thing about fitting in, isn't it? She's like, all I can taste is the metal. Yeah. I guess that's true. Isn't I mean it? it's true, yeah. I mean, you know, aluminium is not a nice taste, is it? Rancid, kind of a rancid taste metal, doesn't it? Because, you know, so, you know posh people eat off silver cutlery, don't they? They do, yeah. And I don't think that, that tastes the same. And I think It doesn't, you're right. I think gold yeah. might be even better, even. I don't think that. I'm not sure about that. But but certainly I've well, heard it, that because, silver... Well, yeah, I mean, iron in particular, steel, you know, the electro, electrolytic action of acid or of acid saliva will make... Will, oh, yeah. Will... 
will cause ionization of, uh, of the iron, won't it? Yeah. In a very small amount, and it's very taste iron, because we need it in such small amounts, we can taste very easily, I think. That's right, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, there's no question that she's right. Yeah, yeah. And I, the reason this film made me angry is, mm-hmm. initially, well, actually, I couldn't figure it out in the end. I don't know about you, Paul, but I, I am pretty much uh, against borders. I don't, I don't really. Oh. Look, morally... Morally, I've never heard anyone explain why it should be that you're allowed to tell people where they can live and work in the world. I've never heard any moral explanation for something that everyone seems to accept. It seems to be the normal thing that, oh yeah, okay, you're born in that place, that's your passport, that's where you have to live and work for the rest of your life. No one has ever explained that. Why should that be the case? Can I just, well, let me put it this way. Do you think golf clubs and tennis clubs could operate on a no-fee basis? Is that a better way to put it for you? Do I think... If we just made the golf... Well, I've got four world-class golf courses here next door to me. That You could actually walk on them, but I think you'd be pretty soon chased off if you did. You might get a couple of, you know, you might get a couple of holes in before somebody turned up in an expensive buggy <laughs> and threw you off. You could do, I think. But, I mean, if long-term the, the golf course said, hey, you know, why do we have these financial borders? Let's just make it free for everybody. Come, people of the world, different colours, come and play on my golf course. I mean, would it work? Do we think there should be such things as golf courses? Well, I, let's not unpack it too much. There are golf courses. <laughs> okay. Right? Let's say one day, let's say, you know, the, the privileged man who, who, let's say it's one man who, who whose golf course this is, he's, he's an aristocrat and it's his land. And he says, well, the hell with it. I mean, I'm, I'm sick of my peevish, mean heart. Let me throw it up to everybody. The golf course is free. There are no longer paid memberships. I mean, would it would it work or not? I think it probably would work because I think no. there'd, there'd be a whole lot of people who wouldn't want to go to a golf course. Uh, and there'd be a whole lot of people, well, there'd be some people who would and would appreciate it. And would still pay for its upkeep. Okay, yeah, but there are corporation-like golf courses. They they exist, sort of council-run ones, municipal. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Blackpool has a very good one indeed. It's 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 a very 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 good golf course, and much cheaper than the private ones. So I was hoping so you, I was hoping you were going to jump on me, Richard, and say you're just saying that immigrants cost us money and they shouldn't be let in. You know, well, no, I'm not. But what I'm saying is, if truly, truly, truly every border was open, then. How would you finance the things that need to be communally financed if people could just come and go at will? There's two things to say to that. Hmm. And the first I'm going to preface this whole conversation with, which is obviously there may be practical problems with the ideal that I'm describing. I mean, I don't Uh doubt that there might be some problems with this whole thing. But I'm not talking... (laughs) I'm not talking about the practice, the practical problems. I'm no, just asking. What's right wrong now. with Stalinism? <laughs> Sorry, go on. I'm asking for what, what the moral justification is. If you're telling me that actually there's no oh. moral justification, but we've just figured out this is just the best way of doing it, and it's you know the best of the you know best of a bad bunch. It's you know the least worst way of doing it. That's fine. But no one says that. No one says there's no better way to organise things, so we do it in this stupid cockamamie way. It, it seems to be a given that it's your like God-given right to live, where, you know, where you were born and nowhere else. 
And I don't understand the moral justification for that. But let me get back to the point. Well, well can, can I just butt in? Okay. There's one thing I want to say. It's like, you, I mean, you're, you're viewing it from a positive frame, which is why can't these maybe downtrodden or eager and eager and uh, hardworking people come to our country and contribute? Well, why not? No, but but but, but the other thing is, why I mean, if borders are truly open, what's going to stop a bigger, meaner, nastier country from literally taking over by population, Richard? I mean, it does happen in parts of the world. Places are repopulated. Local populations are put in prison camps. And larger, super straight cultures come come and take over and mine. You know, you mean like the Romans coming to Britain and bringing with them, you know, aqueducts and roads and sandals and whatever else they brought with them. Or the Normans coming to Britain and bringing castles and stuff. They didn't put the locals in prison. They made a... A gestalt, you know, a hybrid new culture that is the Britain that we know today. So what what are we saying? <laughs> I, 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 I'm just going to ignore that anyway. <laughs> Look, okay. But also, I've got to take issue with your point that oh, you, you, you sort of strawmanned me by saying coming over here, you know, people coming to contribute to work hard and blah, blah, blah. That's exactly the kind of judgment I don't think anyone should be making. Nobody should be saying, oh, you're worthy to come into this country. I think that's objectionable. No one should be sitting there saying, oh, as long as you work hard. This is partly what this film is is also about. You know, they shouldn't have to fit in if they don't want to. That's That's not appropriate. And it's not anyone's place to judge how they want to conduct themselves. So, if you're interested, viewers, uh, Richard will be fourth on the ballot this coming <laughs> election. It's not uh, practical I, politics, I realise that. Wait. Look, there you, you, go. You, you don't live in this country, Paul, or you haven't done for a, a long time. Hmm. Uh, you, you lived in China and various places, actually, Taiwan elsewhere, didn't you? Singapore. So. Philippines. Why did you, why did you live in those places? Because I could do. So, are you telling me that, that I'm belly aching for nothing and that it's perfectly possible to live anywhere you like no no it's i mean because i could do it but many other people couldn't do this is what i did you know so i, I mean so you I'm were privileged that, you were privileged very to definitely very in that respect in the, in the ability to go and find work and to be considered for employment and therefore to get a work visa yeah definitely i mean very much privileged that doesn't mean in the workplace in some of those places that I did had my human rights weren't sacrificed in some sense to move there. They definitely were. You know. Could you vote? Those countries, like I couldn't freely change jobs, and that's no, exactly. that's a fundamental freedom that you'd expect to live to live to be to be not to be considered a citizen, but to be considered a resident or even a guest worker in any country. You know, to be able to find your own employment. You could you couldn't vote. You couldn't take part in the local economy. Presumably. Oh, certainly not. No. no. In some places, you wouldn't have been allowed to buy property, I think. Not all. Most of them. Most of the places I've lived, yeah. So marginalisation is... I mean, that's why we need citizenship. But, Richard, if you're saying that everybody can claim citizenship citizenship from every country, I mean, that's not a practical claim, is it, really? It may not be practical, but it's just not... It's just moral. We are citizens of the world, right? Who gives anybody the right? Why is popping out of a woman's vagina in a particular place, why does that confer some special restriction or right or privilege or disprivilege on you? It, it's absurd. No one chooses where they were born. It's literally <laughs> impossible to do that. I feel like 
like you're asking me to solve these problems for you, Richard, somehow. I'm sorry. Although I'm, I'm guilty of it all. I mean, I've... I think you have a unique perspective on it, and I think you see immediately the, the issues. Look, but look, getting back to this, one of the arguments that you hear from the kind of people who oppose immigration all the time is, oh, they come over here, they get a house, you know, they get on, they go on benefits. And so you can imagine that how this <laughs> I, film I knew I knew we were going to head here. Okay, are we gonna are we gonna start talking about who's been stealing dogs and cats these past few months? No, let's not. Who's been stealing dogs and cats? Well, <laughs> I'm not the one going to say it's, it's Romanian and Albanian immigrants. Okay, but many people are. If you go on Facebook, what are they doing with dogs and cats? Well, selling them for money, you know. Right. Oh, all right. Okay. So they're stealing people's pets. To sell them again. Or because to have, or to breed, because or there's to a them. massive market, obviously, for mature pets. And it's, and it's also it's, very it's, difficult, presumably, it's, it's to... It's been ma- on the BBC One show, you know. <laughs> somebody <laughs> called Ryland saying, get your cats neutered, everybody. Because they don't want neutered cats. It's like, they don't want neutered cats. I think there's an assumption that, you know, it's it's gypsy-like people that are doing this. Certainly, Just, if you go on the Facebook... If you go on the Facebook local, local pages, you know, there's an idea... That, you know, it's them doing it. It can't be hard so, if you wanted to sell da- dogs or cats or kittens or puppies to find a dog or a cat and get it to have babies, can it? <laughs> That's not beyond the wit of man. Why would you so risk you, you were saying, stealing people? You were saying people, people say they come to this country and they... They, they get they a house. Do. They get given a house. And mm-hmm. the, 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 the implication there, or you know, people actually point this out, some people are struggling to get housed by the council. Whereas refugees may come in and may be given a house. Well, on the one hand, this film is sort of fueled this ammunition for those kind of people. But they're not really seeing the subtlety of it, are they? The whole reason that this couple are given a house is that, by law, they're not allowed to work. So they couldn't possibly afford to rent anywhere. Because they're given £76 a month for everything. And they're told they're not allowed to supplement their income in any way. So what are they going to do? They have to be given a house. True. Well, if if we didn't have that restriction on letting them work, things could be a bit different, maybe. But the real answer to both of those problems is that we should house everybody. You know, there should be a number of basic things that every human being has to have. Which is water and food and healthcare and somewhere to stay, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry. Wait a minute. When did this turn into? Uh, this is Wilson what this film What's so funny about love, peace, and understanding? <laughs> Richard, you know, get off the piano for crying out loud. <laughs> Let Bruce Springsteen have a song for crying out loud. It's just how this film made me feel. That's all. Oh, I'm okay. Wait, I can see it's prigged something. It's, it's pre to conscience in you. I don't know if it's a guilty conscience or an innocent conscience, but nonetheless, I don't know, Richard. I, I think, you know, coming back to this country as I have a, from a 20-year absence, and I have occasionally checked in on the on the YouTube to find out what's going on on various news feeds that I, that I don't really know the source of. But anyway, so what I would say is like... You're saying, why is there this, if you like, reactionary idea towards immigrants? I, I don't think it's a, a case of people don't want immigrants in their country. And it's not a question of, well, they're taking what we've got. I think, I think it, it, it's to do with a large section of the population feel that the, their normal class representatives, like the Labour Party, have kind of deserted them. 
I think we were talking earlier about Emily Thornberry was something I did catch, you know, during the referendum era. You know, she wore that European Union flag dress a week after condemning the St. George flag outside a man with a white van saying, you know, these these white working class people are all nasty racists. And I, I don't think you can really detract. You, you can't really ignore the way that some politicians, I'm not going to say liberal elite, but I've, that some politicians have started to represent the white working class as being Brexit, racist, and and xenophobic. Uh, I don't know, Richard. I think there's there's a connection to all of this. Is what I'm saying. No, totally. I, 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 I'm not prepared. To, I'm not prepared. To, I'm not prepared to condemn. You know the people that don't want. I'm not prepared to represent the people that don't want immigrants in this country for the kind of reasons you've been mentioning as being the poor white people who who labour for a living. And I, increasingly, people wash their hands and, and wipe and, and, and throw their shitty sin at these people and, and stick it to them instead, you know. And, I, and I, at some point when that's happened, okay, you don't mind people coming here and having a bit, a bit of your tax, tax money to live. But at some point you start to compare it all and think, well, wait a minute, just why am I doing all this? Why should I welcome people when, when I don't feel welcome? Not in my own country, but I just don't feel welcome in this country. And I think there are a lot of people saying that. I think that they might that that might be the momentum that's pushing this. Yeah, I think you're I mean, right. Having spent time, well, having spent time with working class people, British working class people, I have to say, of all the British people, they are the least racist people as well. You see, okay, of all the white stock in the country. Uh, I, you know, I would say that white working class people are the least fundamentally racist. I mean, perhaps they, um, they'll certainly come up with oh, really typifying people. They haven't really to get in touch with but they might come out. They might in a pub come out with typifying casually racist comments. But I, you know, previously the last ten years, I, I, racism wasn't something I associated with the working class particularly. Whereas now it is, and I, or now in the media it is. So, and Brexit in particular is something the only northern working class people have voted for. I mean, what are those representations doing out there? Because they're, they're, they're wholly inaccurate, aren't they? So I think some of the, it's like a snowball that somebody's pushing along here, isn't it? Well, it is. You, you know, you've made these people angry, and now you're making them angry by saying, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like. Well, there's nothing new about populism <sighs> pinning blame on, you know, a, a group like immigrant, immigrants. Which is what's happened. I know, but then say, well, you know, it's obvious these white working class people are going to be like that because they they're so stupid and they got left behind, didn't they? Mm. You see, yeah, and I hear I hear so many so much of that kind of argumentation, and it's almost like you you call the customer complaint line. And you say, excuse me, I, I want to complain. Don't you get angry with me? Uh, have you ever had that person that you know on the other end of the phone? And you're not angry, and they said, uh, yeah, just don't get angry. First of all, you know, and. They're pushing the snowball along, aren't they? You know, mm. they're making it worse. I, I think there's there is. Have you had some, some... trouble with a, a a call center operative recently? No, no, I haven't. <laughs> See, you, again, you do that thing where it's, no, no, I'm just saying. I, I have once, but then I saw it on TV, and somebody, I, I saw somebody do it so well. They were just like, they were really pushing the snowball along, like they were like saying, "Don't get angry." And then, of course, when you, when they say that, you you say, "I'm not getting angry," and then. Then, the, then they've got grounds for saying, don't shout at me, don't interrupt me, you know, kind of thing. And it's it's that kind of thing where it's not gaslighting, is it? You're kind of drawing people into 
you're agitating people and then using the agitation to 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 indicate they have some sort of uh, some sort of flaw and i think somehow that's been done en masse not by the liberal media i don't think i don't think it's intentional i don't know what's been what's been going on but this idea that everybody in the north everybody poor everybody working class and white in the north is somehow carrying stakes headed headed for islington and uh, with you know Union Jack bowler hats on, and it's not it's it's not accurate, is it? So I'm saying some of that, the way that people perceive the way that people perceive they are being perceived, and the way that a large part of the population perceives being, they're being misrepresented, might in itself be be causing these less than charitable responses to 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 refugees. Yeah, it might be contributing to to, to some of the some of the words that people are saying about. Them. And what's your thought anyway, Richard? Because I've I've waffled on at length to no for no to no apparent end there. So, so I've been ranting me. on long enough. But <laughs> listen, why can't we? Okay, this here's here's a suggestion. Why can't you just sell citizenship, have an open free ah. market for citizenship? Well, you, they do. They do sell citizenship. In the sense, I suppose that if you're rich enough, you can live anywhere you like. Well, I mean, Australia, the UK, Canada. It's explicit. You know, you need to put. Four hundred thousand pounds or whatever in a bank account for five years. You need to buy property, and then you, and then you have citizenship. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the answer to the question then is the reason that that's not a good idea is that just means that rich people can live where they want and everyone else can't. Yeah. So either you have no borders at all, completely open borders, or there's some mm. alternative that I haven't figured out yet. How about this? How about you can swap your citizenship with anybody else in the world? Yeah. yeah, you don't like the idea? Does that get your seal of approval? Well, <laughs> I mean, what you're asking for is an end to geographic countries, isn't it? You, you, yeah, you're ultimately, saying, of course I am. Why? Why are countries geographical, geographically based? Well, obviously, that's a, there's a historical precedent for that, isn't there? Yes, yes. Because it doesn't necessarily exist anymore. It doesn't need but. to exist. I have to ask another question, related question: Is it right that the UK government can strip Shamima Begum, or whatever she's called, of her citizenship on the grounds that she went to ISIS. I think it depends on what grounds. uh, What grounds are represented and what grounds are actually stripping the citizenship from her. I don't think it depends on anything. I don't think... I don't... You can strip citizenship from anybody. Because it... Especially someone who doesn't have another... Well... Well, under UN law, you can do... Whether we should be able to, you, you, we shouldn't be able to. No, of course you shouldn't uh, be able to. How can you strip? I, I was, I nearly said what people have been saying, which is this thing that if you've got dual citizenship, maybe you can strip the citizenship. But that's bullshit as well. You shouldn't just because someone's got dual citizenship shouldn't give you an extra power over them that you don't have over ordinary people. Full stop. You cannot, should not ever be able to remove citizenship from somebody, and certainly not in Jemima's case. They tried to claim that she had. Bangladeshi citizenship, she doesn't. Yeah. I think her parents may have been from Bangladesh. Doesn't mean she's a citizen there. If she's never applied, she's she may not be eligible. They're certainly not going to give it, grant it to her now if she's a dangerous terrorist. But the problem, yeah, the I point mean, is, these reasons are all excuses, aren't they? She's it's our not. problem if she's our citizen. If you're going to insist on having countries and having people born in the country and restricted to where they can live and work, then just because she goes away somewhere and fucks somewhere else up, you teach your problem. And she either gets prosecuted over there, but more likely, 
she comes back home and you prosecute her for what crimes she's she's committed. And if she hasn't committed any crimes, then guess fucking what? You can't punish her. Am I, am I crazy? <laughs> well, you make, you, you make a very, very strong defence for, 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 for... I forgot her name. Sh- 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 Shamima Begum, I think. Begum, I remember her surname. To, to come back and, and face trial here. But I think what what you're saying is why have, yeah let people oh, swap. Why, oh, sorry, sorry. The end of geographic citizen, citizenry. Yes. Yeah, I mean, essentially, you're making a case for like a Blade Runner corporate corporatist future, aren't you? That countries are not countries; countries are now corporations in the sense that they're not they're still a country, but they're not geographically tied to any any particular rights to any claim of land or sea or air in particular. Um, so they're essentially become giant corporations, and I, I'm not sure what would change if we did that. Well, if it's like Blade Runner, I'm all on board. Flying cars, well, but, but, but wait, giant wait, okay, illuminated so you, billboards. What, but what you're saying is we should have a resolution across the world that no country can exist. No country can exist. Yes. And also, well, and therefore the thing that exists instead of countries must accept anybody that wants to come to them. Listen, uh, there's a policing problem here, isn't there, really? Because at some point, some big country's going to say, you know, going to give you the finger and say, I'm bigger than the rest of you. I'm ignoring these laws. In a country, we don't stop people going from city to city. If you want to go and live... Well, we do. Work- well, we do. We oh, have yeah. done this past year, haven't we? <laughs> but in normal times, yes. Yeah. yeah. In normal times when there's no threat of death because of, because of contact between people. Innocuous contact. Of course, no, we don't. I think we ought to get back to the movie before, oh, hell yeah. before lockdown ends. So I can see you were looking for a brawl tonight, Richard, but you <laughs> failed to find one. What makes you so pugnacious about these things? Something's, is there somebody that's been denied? Are you marrying somebody that's not been allowed in the country, Richard, because you don't earn £27,000 a year or something? I mean, I object to all this. You know, it's, it's scandalous that people that don't earn a certain amount of money can't bring their husband or wife into the country. It's, it's, it's outrageous. It's completely but I'll tell you what, I object to even more if we're onto this. Furlough. I mean, okay, for the first three months, sure, you, know, you do what you have to do in an emergency, but it's now 12 months in. And whatever modern principle of supporting people when they're out of work, I mean, for me, there are three principles. Capitalism, you know, you work ideally uh, and are paid according to, to your effort and to output. That's an idealist representation of socialism of various kinds, according to your needs, an ideal representation of your needs, or charity, uh, according to your handicap. But I mean, Phil, if you think about it, the way we're paying people at the moment is uh, you get paid according to how comfortably you used to live. You know, it's, it's feudal. <laughs> I mean, it's all, right for th- it's all right for three months. But after 12 months, you know, th- he's getting £2,000 a month. Why? Well, because he used to get £2,000 a month, you know. And he, the other guy's on, on £600 a month. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay for three months, you know, because it was an emergency, but we're now 12 months in and we need some sort of... Well, we should have universal basic income. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, it's, 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 it's almost unconscionable that we're paying people according to the amount of comfort, comfort they were previously used to. 12 months in, you know, for me, it's, it's fundamentally wrong. I can't accept it. This was a part political broadcast by the Drive-By Cinema Party. <laughs> but I can't, you know, I mean, how much we should get paid when we when we can't find our own work? You know, I mean, by all means, do a Norman Tebbit. How many job searches, you know, have you done this week? You'll get paid per job search. 
How fit have you made yourself? Every hour on the treadmill will pay you a minimum wage. Sure, you know, you want to make it capitalist in terms of, you know, you want to, you want to benefit system that's capitalist in its nature. I don't mind. At least it's a modern idea, you know. I think the idea might be to make it based on, based on our needs because we can't find work at the moment, you know, huge, huge swathes of the population because we'd be denied, denied the right to go to work, aren't we? So, I mean, but then to say to people, well, you know, Here's money according to your previous level of privilege. I mean, this isn't a modern idea, is it? It's it's not charity. It's not socialism. It's not capitalism. It's 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 feudalism, isn't it? I mean, let's call it out for what it is. I, I can see you don't agree, but no, I can see your point. I'm not sure feudalism is the right word because well, we're not what do you call the right? To, what do you call the right <laughs> to inherit privilege that you've, you've done nothing to to justify? Hmm. Okay. I see. I see, I see what you're saying. Is that what typifies a feudal society? It's, it's inherited privilege, isn't it? Okay, yeah. Grandfathered in, as it were. Paul, we've got oh, to do this rest of this movie. Point. Listen, um, well, you can't be started on this political bent. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not a political creature. It's a political film, though. I think it's. Political. It is, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 and yet, it's mixed in with a supernatural horror where they are haunted by. The spirits of the people who died from the boat? Is that what we're supposed to understand? Yes. Well, things start appearing in the wall. Scratches start being heard and holes start appearing. Is that right? Well, he starts making holes in the walls because he doesn't like the things in the walls. But then we might see a flash of eyeballs or a hand at some point. He does like rewire the house, doesn't he? Because the electrics weren't yeah. working. But, well, because he pulls out the cables, I think. He puts them on the outside of the walls. Which, I guess, if you're not an electrician, I've no idea how you get wires in walls. It seems a practical solution to the problem, but I don't know how they do it. I, for me, mostly I buy an extension cable. <laughs> I don't know why. We, I mean, these days we've got those little, those little conduits that make it look all tidy. I don't know why we just don't keep wires outside of the wall. Have you had a dog, though, recently? I kind of understand why. You've had a dog? Do, I had a dog. No. Not, for, not for dinner. No, I had a dog a couple of years back, and I understand why. It's because dogs will chew on any electrical cable and kill themselves and anybody nearby. So, yeah, I, I don't think we need this sad story right now. But listen, <laughs> I think you just got to train them, Paul. You got to tell them not to not to chew things. It's poorly trained. That's that's all. Well, anyway, so yes, yeah, so stuff starts appearing in the walls. I pretty much after fifteen twenty minutes, it becomes clear that it's it's, it's ghosts and it's. It's people and uh, it's spirits. And then that happens for 20 or 30 or 40 minutes. In fact, it just it's just all the time, really. It's just, oh, it's nighttime again and stuff's going to start appearing in the walls. But then at some point, wet footprints appear as well, which is a change, a welcome change to the constant onslaughts of, you know, people, little faces appearing behind holes in the wall. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a bit of tension about the fact that you know, Matt Smith pays him a visit, doesn't he, I think, and he sees that there's loads of holes in the walls and he says he's going to have to write it up and report it. And they, Well, they're quite clear about what's happening. They tell me, don't they? They say, you know... They're, they're very much. open about it, yeah. Yeah, very open. <laughs> but they do... There is a, a nice horror moment where I think he's, at one point, is reaching a sort of crescendo of this sort of supernatural activity and I think a load of these spirits coming out and grabbing him and he turns the light on and I think they all disappear. Which is good old-fashioned, they can't get you while the lights are on stuff, isn't it? But I think the problem with this movie is it is quite flat. Nothing really happens. But I think sort of that's because 
Is this actually all just psychological? Are they just suffering PTSD? Is that what we're led to understand by the end of the movie? Because the end of the movie has an important twist. There is closure, isn't there? Yeah. Closure is... They do achieve closure. So it's, again, figment of imagination. It's all in the... It's, you know, no place like home Dorothy kind of stuff. Is that what you're saying? It's just supposed to be a a graphic representation of the workings of their minds. There's a twist, isn't there? Because we have all been assuming throughout this film that they tragically lost their young daughter in the boat. But towards the end of the film, we see more flashbacks from the very start that was so abbreviated. And it turns out... They stole them. Yeah. They were standing at the bus, a big queue of people trying to get on board, and the person was telling them there's no more room. There's a young girl near them. A mother is obviously a bit further back in the crowd. I think it's obvious to them that they'll get on board with the girl. And so they pretend it's like it's their child. And that gets them on the bus. And then they see the mother chasing after the bus as they drive down the road away from the village. On the one hand, they've saved this girl, in a way, I guess, and can look after her. But on the other hand, separate her from her mother. And it's a terribly morally ambiguous thing. And then subsequently, of course, she dies in the crossing. And the guilt must have could driven it could have you know would drive anyone crazy, wouldn't it? So yeah, so they've stolen a girl. And they need to give it, give it back, give her back to release themselves from the curse of the apeth. Hmm. So it felt like maybe this was a study of the PTSD they were suffering from their yeah. the trauma, not only of having to flee a war torn place, but and come to somewhere completely alien and weird and quite hostile, but also that they had done so with a very morally ambiguous act. Maybe it is true. Sure, I mean, you, well, you feel guilty getting away with it, wouldn't you, when other people die, but then to survivor's have cheated. Guilt, yeah. yeah, survivor's guilt, sorry, but then to have done it by cheating. Or, you know, you've got to feel doubly bad. So, of course, I think you, if you suffer from PTSD, of course, you project. You project all that through whatever native systems of, of of conscience and karma that you have so so i think we're supposed to assume that it, you know this is just a representation of what's happening in their mind i feel better about that because obviously the supernatural stuff as usual didn't really have much i didn't appreciate it much but if it was no. a study of their ptsd i can i can get on board with it a bit better in california you have those rooms you can go and smash up don't you like a primal scream therapy type thing is it, is it, is it, I think it's called Smash Room Therapy or something. Okay. But uh, I was reminded of that when he's just going in there and just wrecking the place. He did make a but right d- go of it. Yeah, does everybody have like a secret compartment in their house? Are all homes built with that in mind? Or Yeah, you had to have somewhere to hide your Catholic priest, didn't you? Yeah, but on TikTok there's a huge thing at the moment where, you know, there's TikTok series where people do the same theme thing uh, of... People actually do have whole secret crawl through rooms in their homes. In America, of course, homes are, homes are big, you know. And it's amazing watching it. You know, they crawl through a little passageway that's behind a fridge. You know, the fridge is actually decoy. And then they go up, down a little chute, and they're actually in a whole little secret area of the house. It's amazing. But it's done for TikTok, so it's probably faked, isn't it? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, mean, I did see one. I did see one recently on YouTube because I don't watch TikTok. Paul, I don't know what you're doing watching TikTok. I, I watched one on YouTube where, or it could have been. Richard, on is there any social media I'm allowed to watch? No, without uh, without your ref, without without being without suffering your <laughs> circumscription. There was a, a video of a, Facebook. I'm allowed to watch <laughs> TikTok now. <laughs> 
There's a video of a, a woman in a New York apartment, and she took the bathroom cabinet off, and there was like a square hole. I've just seen that one, yeah. And they, it's the same as somebody else's house. Yeah. That's the new one going around. Yeah. But that's understandable, because in those kind of apartment buildings, you have a, you have a wet wall. Yes. And all the pipes are running up and down. And of course, two apartments Makes are back sense. onto the same wall. And there would probably be access points on it. So yeah, I can. that's believable. All right, so score time, Paul. Okay, first of all, can I say, I was surprised really that the, the eyes in the wall weren't local British white eyes. You know, I think, well, obviously, given the, the, the story here, it's about their guilt. But I think the more natural thing, if we're going to have a supernatural thing about refugees coming to the UK, I mean, most refugees do report being made to feel very unwelcome. You know, I think it might more naturally sit that it's the locals that don't want them there. So I think the general choice of direction there wasn't wrong, but I would question whether it was, it was going to be the easiest way to make the, to make the ideas of the movie kind of acceptable or, or, or make them have a rhythm that I just don't think this movie had. Maybe my first observation. But isn't the idea that they're bringing their, they're bringing their spirit, their haunting with them. It's a troubled... Sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah it's not a very coherent idea, I, I admit. So, yeah. So, for me, story. If we get to story to start off with, yeah. Just that very, very, very slow-moving dialogue. Just... I, once I noticed it, I couldn't stop noticing it. It was, it was just everywhere. Like, literally, 10-second pauses between anything in the dialogue. Uh, and so, I have to score the story down. What was the story? It was, should I stay or should I go? With some flashbacks. So a four, really, for the story. I don't know what you feel about that. I'm inclined to be more generous than that. Yeah, okay. I think it's telling... Uh, like I say, there, there's a different story here about immigration and refugees and the practical realities of it. To tie it all up in a horror, what is that? Is that making it more palatable? Mm, not sure. I'll give it a six, though. I'll give it a go for a six. Okay. What about the acting? The acting, I thought, was okay. I'm going to give it a six for the acting. Six, the actor. Six, okay. High spot for me was the uh, council estate girl who peed in their garden. I thought that was a nice cameo. <laughs> and Doctor Who, of course. Uh, but yeah, the, the two leads were, were pretty good. You know, horror of this kind is always going to be difficult. But this is, again, backed off against some real world stuff. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a seven. Okay. How about the action and effects? So the special effects is... Standard zombie stuff, isn't it, really? Yeah. Stuff coming out of the walls. And the action and very... I mean, there were some scenes where they were... With the bits when they were in the bath and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Some of it is pretty creepy, wasn't it? I don't know. I'll, I'll go six for the action special effects. For me, I thought the flashback to Sudan and... Like oh, yeah. the the bit in the boat was quite good, actually. Yeah, the bit in the boat where, you know, where they lose their child and... The almost powerful haunting of real lost lives. I thought there was a lot of pathos there. I mean, I thought the action really helped support that. So for me, a seven. I I thought this managed to have some gravitas towards the end. You, know, you, you can grasp the weight that they're under. And that's because the scenes that when we go back to Sudan and, and the... And to an extent, you know, the eyes in the walls, uh, some of those shots really build in there. And so, I, yeah, seven for me. So, scariness. Jump scares. Jump scares. Kind of 
didn't really work, wasn't scary, I'm going to give it a five. Yes, it isn't scary, really. No. Because you don't feel... This movie didn't need to be scary, it needed to be affecting. Yes. And it, it, it managed that, it would have managed more of it if it didn't have all the scary bits in. Yes. It's just, I didn't feel they were in peril. They, they were quite matter-of-fact about it. As you say, they just told Matt Smith... That they were, you know, a witch. It was a witch. Yeah, yeah usual stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, clearly they weren't happy about it in the sense that he smashed his wall up. But yeah, it didn't really feel creepy or horrific. So I can only give it a five in this in this department. And therefore, as an overall score, overall, would I recommend this? I mean, yeah, probably slightly on balance, but it's not a standout piece of work, is it? So I'll go six. Hmm. I mean, overall, I, I kind of like the ending. I thought there was there was the way that she decided to kill, the way that he brought or he he drew in the ghost by offering his own blood, uh, and then she decided to kill to kill the the ghost of their memories, if you like, if we're looking at this in analogical terms, rather than punishing her husband, punishing their present, if you like. I thought all that closure and the symmetries of it well, they ended up quite well. They ended up kind of welcoming the ghosts and living with them. Didn't yeah, they? I thought, that, but they have to welcome their memories. You see, and they can't. They've got to stop punishing each other, kind of thing. You know, I thought there were sort of there were symmetries and analogies that worked there, and I was quite pleased with that. But the emotional gravitas, I'm going to upscore this. My score is four, but I'm going to upscore it two because of those things to a six. Like I said, I think they should have more confidence, and they should have said this can work without the supernatural and would work better and I think they just pushed too much and crowded out what we're trying to say with this movie with this weird tact on ghosts as analogies kind of thing well Paul if they left out the supernatural we wouldn't have reviewed it would we because it wouldn't have been oh no we wouldn't it wouldn't be scary now which brings us to a decision about next week's movie I'm going to give you choice of give me two choices Richard I can give you a choice of two in fact I've got loads of movies here but I'm going to suggest Either... Come on, I'll tend to hooks here. Don't do this to me, Richard. Hit me with it. Hit me with it. Either Gaspar Noe's Climax or... He's reading from his notes here. Or The Signal. can't remember the movies. Gaspar Noe's <laughs> Climax or The Signal. Okay. Well, I, I, I've... Climax or Signal. I've kind of had a look at both of these. I'm definitely going to go for Climax. As you usually do. <laughs> All right, so tune in next week when... Well, it was a very quick decision, wasn't it? <laughs> Five seconds of a job. Not to climax. <laughs> that means it must be time for the music in three, two... And two. One. And one! Thank you.